we're going to finish up First Timothy tonight. We'll take two Wednesdays off. Then when we come back in, in uh, January, we're going to start with Titus, not Second Timothy. I'm going to take them in the order that they're written by Paul, not the, the order that they come. In chapter uh, 6, verse 11, Paul says, and gives this command to Timothy, but flee these things, you man of God. Flee these. Now, what things is he saying to flee? Is it the teachings of the false teachers? This is things he had just mentioned. You know, probably all that. At the end of the letter, Paul's Paul's writing to his protege. He sent Timothy on a really tough task. Timothy, you got to go into Ephesus and you got to clean up a mess. And he's helping him. You know, I I look at that a little bit. I think, and I'm no, I don't like the Paul Timothy comparison in my life. I don't, I don't think those are valid. I hear people, I I don't look at it. I never look at my life as being anyone's Paul ever. Uh, I don't want to be their David either, considering some of the problems that David had in the Old Testament. But I knew, I knew though, there are things that happen. You know, and some of my staff members, I sometimes give some tough tasks to, um, and things they have to do. And I always want to be encouraging to them. And I think what you really see here in this letter is Paul to send, hey, Timothy, it's going to be a battle, brother. And you're going to, you're going to have some, you have the false teachers and you have the false battles. You flee their sin. You flee the dangers. You flee the pursuit of money. It'd be, it, It'd be easy to get Timothy off track. Some of those, you know, I'm telling you, man, it's so easy to have people give you flattering speech, tell you how good you are and all the wonderful things you've done and blah, 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 blah. You got you to flee from that. One of the things I have done in my ministry and I've tried really hard is I, don't, I do not take financial considerations and favors from people in my church. I just don't. I mean, if they give me a love offering, that's fine. Or a wedding summer. I'm just saying, you know, I don't, I've had guys who own car dealerships. I've had people make me great offers on deals on cars. Nope. They want to do this for me? Nope. They want to send me to this place? Nope, nope, nope. I never want to owe them anything or give the appearance to other members that I owe them something. And I think so much of, of, of ministry and so many of the problems preachers get into is, is a lack of credibility with people who think that somehow they've shortchanged things. Listen, you just, it, it, playing favorites in a church is rough. And, and, you know, I have people I'm probably closer to than others, friendlier to, certainly my staff. At the end of the day, one of the things that, that I've always said is it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who you are. I'm never going to be that close to you. I walked, uh, listen, I've let, in my last two churches, some of the, both times, people who were on the pastor search committee who called me, they walked, some of them, I've had people walk away mad at me. And I'm like, sorry, that's just the way it goes. And I'm saying this because, one of the things you can't do is get caught up in, in somehow people leveraging you for what they want. And that was the danger Timothy would always face there at Ephesus. And he said, Timothy, flee all that stuff. He says, here's what you do. Pursue these things. And then he gives a list. I tell you all the time. You can break this list down. If you go through commentaries, they break it down. But Billy, just take the list all together. And you know what these words mean. Righteousness and godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Be the opposite of the people causing the problems. I think that's pretty good advice to anyone. Be the opposite of the people who cause you the problems. You know, I'm not, not talking about people that disagree with you. That's, part, that's life, man. But the people who are constantly causing the problems. If you've been in church for a long time, you probably can think back on a church, well, not this one, another one, maybe two or three churches ago, and there were people who were always causing problems. Be the opposite of them. So that which is right, that which is good in the eyes of God, morally right, the faith you have, the love for people, 
being persevering and gentle. I was communicating recently with someone um, who's really not a follower of Jesus. They believe in God. They said, I probably believe differently than you. And I said, that's okay, but here's what you need to know. Regardless of what you believe, I'm going to love you. You're my friend. You don't have to believe the way I believe. What I want to make sure that they see in the life of this person who is their friend from high school as a Christian, but also they know as a pastor, is that you don't have to think and believe exactly as I do. But I'll love you anyways. Now, should you believe and think like I do? Well, yeah. I think that's the best course for all of you is to think and believe like I do. Your life would be, my life would be so much easier if you did that. (laughs) But here's the thing. Regardless of that, the the love that you got to have. Notice what he says. Fight the good fight of faith. Some think this might be a reference to a a training event for a sport or this war or battle that you have in mind. The point simply is this. The fight of faith. And and, and it could mean the Christian faith or the doctrines we hold. I think it probably means all of that. I think there are times I use it that way. If I was going to say fight the good fight of the faith, I mean faith in its broadest scope, everything you can imagine, coming to Jesus, the doctrines we believe, the Christian faith. He says that fight is a good fight. You fight for that. And, you know, we need to be at peace. And and I try as much as possible, I think, to, to to have peace. But some things you have to fight for. The, 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 the essentials of the Christian faith, you've got to fight for that. And I think far too often churches fight, but they fight for the wrong things. They fight for the color of the carpet, or who gets the better classroom, or who gets to be on what position in the church, or you know how to spend the money. And they forget, fight for the people who don't know Jesus to come to Christ. Fight so that the lost will feel like this is their church. Just as much as the people who have been here 40 years. That's a fight worth fighting. You want people who don't know Jesus to come to Jesus. I say all the time, I'm good to go. I'm going to be with Jesus. Fix and touch on that next phrase. There are some things that matter more than others. Planting churches matter. That's, you know, I want our budget to reflect that we're helping guys plant churches, not helping people destroy them. You know? The things that are matter are important. Just fight the good fight, Timothy, against those false teachers. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Take hold, grab eternal life. You know, I was reflecting on this a little bit. Um, over probably the last, well, I know since I've been here, which is coming up on eight years. It was eight years ago, I think, uh, right, Terry, that y'all in the community, had, I think it's about eight years ago, we did, yeah, you don't remember because of other problems in your life. It was eight and a half years ago, if you remember that you guys rejected me the first time, I want to point that out, before you came back to me realizing it was the wrong decision. I always like to point that out. Some of you don't know that I was once rejected by the church to be their pastor. Just thought I'd point that out. Yeah, been rejected by a lot of churches, so it's okay. But, um, you know, as I think about eternal life, 
And, and, and really what's hit me, I think, is just the importance of the life. The word life that they use in the Greek, zoe, means life as it should absolutely be. You know, growing up, we always talked about, you know, you go to heaven or hell. Okay, now I got that. And I understood that. But really what that means is we're going to heaven or hell. You know you're going to heaven, so whatever you do in the meantime is okay. And that's kind of the idea. And then a lot of times I hear, you know, people saying, you know, you've you got to be saved from the sin, which you do, and the, constant, and, and the life of sin that you lead, you break through the power of sin, and it's absolutely 100%. But what are you getting in exchange for that? And what we're getting is life, the way it's meant to be. And the eternal aspect means that it's timeless. The timelessness of life. Jesus says in John 10, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, they follow me, and I give them. They didn't earn it. I give them eternal life. And they'll never perish, and no one can take it from them. Think about the gift of eternal life. Paul's saying to Timothy, Timothy, I know you're fighting a lot of things. Take hold of eternal life. When you realize that you have eternal life, I think it changes your perspective. Now, when, you know, when I was younger, I didn't think about it much because I knew I had it, but I'm just thinking about life. But as you're a little bit older, you really start to think, what does that mean? And more and more in my ministry, and you may have noticed this in my time here, I try to stress that what the believer has is eternal life from the moment of my salvation. Now, I will tell you this. Two months ago, that understanding of eternal life was the biggest help I had in Debbie passing. Because I understood at that moment of her suffering in their passing, when she left, all that really happened is she got everything that Jesus ever promised. Life as it was meant to be. And the interesting thing is the word eternal, I don't, if you think about time, I, was, I just make the assumption there is no time for eternity. Time is an accommodation that God makes to us to help us be able to function in life. And I always like to think that, you know, from the moment she got there, because there is no time, it's eternal, she just turns around and there I am as well. That may be a few months from now, a few years from now, a few decades from now, who knows. But I think for the believer to understand that we're with Jesus for eternity. And there is no time concept of eternity. And what that eternity means is life, the absolute fullest way it should ever be. It's an amazing gift that we have. It's an amazing comfort that we have. Some of you may come from backgrounds where people can believe they can lose their salvation. And I've always wanted to know, how can you lose eternal life? You've never had it. Then you have it because Jesus gives it to you. What can you ever do to not have eternal life? It's nothing. And so he says, take hold. It doesn't mean he doesn't have it. He says, cling to that. Cling to the reality and the struggle. And tell you, when you're in struggles in life, whether it's church life, personal life, or whatever life, knowing you have eternal life, oh man, that makes the struggle doable. It makes the battle doable. Because you know what happens. He says, you have it since you confess Jesus in the presence of many witnesses. He says, now I direct you in the presence of God. This is like a, an oath. 
who gives life to all things. There's that word soil. Life is just meant to be. Everything that has life has it from him. And of Christ Jesus, who, by the way, testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. When Pilate asked him, are you the one? And Jesus says, it is as you say it is. Yes, I am the Christ. I am the king. He confessed that he is it. In light of all of that, he says, you keep the command or commandment without fault or reproach until the appearing of Lord Jesus. Now, the interesting is, what is the command or commandment? Some things, things he just said. Some think it is maybe some of the stuff earlier in the book. I know uh, reading one of the commentaries written by one of my mentors, Dr. Tommy Lee, who uh, helped me immensely in seminary, um, says it may just be something that Paul told Timothy, and we don't know what it is. The fact is, we don't know what the commandment is, but it has something to do with the charge that Paul gave him in serving in that church. He says, in light of your confession, in light of the confession of Christ, keep the commandment. I would put it this way. In light of what Christ proclaimed, and in light of what you have proclaimed by the grace of God about Jesus, Keep the call of Christ upon your life. There are several commands that Jesus made for us. He said, love God and love others. Well, that seems pretty good. He said, go make disciples. He said, deny yourself, take up your cross. Follow me. And I kind of think if you just think about those things and the call upon your life and whatever life brings you, you keep that probably be okay. If you remember that above all, that you love God and you love even the people that are mean to you. Now that's hard to do. And I realized that. I was thinking today about somebody. Oh yeah, I remember what it was. And I was thinking, you know, <laughs> Lord, I forgive them. But it was hard. And I don't know if I really love them. But I'll love them the way you tell me to, but I ain't going to like them. Because you never told me I had to like them. You never told me I had to be their friend. You just told me I have to love them the way you love me. And I'll do that grudgingly. <laughs> but I'll do that. Sometimes we have to work to love people. It's not hard. It's not easy. It's hard. Sometimes you have to. But Jesus said, you do that. He said, you follow me. And if you follow me, you love people. And then what you do is you share Jesus with them. And, and, and if in the circumstances of life, we'll remember that. We'll be so much better off. And I think as I come to 1 Timothy, this is really, if I, if I just get this out of 1 Timothy. I mean, forget all the stuff about widows and deacons and pastors, overseers, and even the false teachers. If I just get this right, I probably did a pretty good job of understanding 1 Timothy. You know, sometimes we look at all these books and we try to get everything out of them. And sometimes I'm thinking, I just got to get a little bit. I just got through reading the book of Numbers recently. It took a while because Numbers can be tough to go through. 
when I was through with the book of Numbers, actually at the very beginning of reading it, it just hit me, but as I finished it, I just said, really what the book of Numbers just tells me is God is holy and I should do whatever God wants me to do. And I got that out of the book of Numbers. Now, the people of Israel, they had all this stuff having to do with the sacrifices, which I find completely boring because none of it pertains to me. I'm never going to do the sacrifices. When Christ comes again, I don't know how to break it to people. We're not going to reinstitute any sacrifices. and not going to have the temple. I know that because Jesus ended all that. He told us that. The book of Hebrews clearly says that. So when I read the book of Numbers, i got to be honest. I don't care about the lampstands and the incense and, all the help and what it took to build all that stuff. I read it. I don't care. But what I care about is what it told me. That God expects me to obey and worship him because he is holy. And what I said is, thank you, Lord, that you sent Jesus. Because when Jesus equals everything in the book of Numbers, everything. Which is why the guy in Hebrews said, he put an end to all of that. Praise God. And so sometimes you just come to a book And through all the complexities, just try to find really what it says. And I think Paul's writing to his young protege and says, Timothy, all this stuff going on. I put you in the middle of a hornet's nest. All this stuff, Timothy, Timothy, Timothy. Don't become like those false teachers. You keep the commands you were given. And you pursue the things of Christ. Remembering you have eternal life. Timothy, you have eternal life. You can get through all of that. Ain't nothing they're going to do to you. You have life as it's meant to be. Lay hold of that, Timothy. Pursue the things of God. Don't get caught up in that. And you do this until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Christ comes again, then he brings an end to everything. And everything will be as it should be. One of the things I say about the second coming of Christ, I think Paul clearly teaches it. When Jesus comes again, he settles everything. I don't care how he settles it. I really don't. At the end of the day, all your views of the end times, I really don't care. I care. You know, even though we care much about my view of the end times, I just know that Jesus is coming and he's going to settle everything and I'm going to be with him and I'm good. If he doesn't work out according to my doctrinal system, I'm okay. I know there are people who, is, who act like if Jesus doesn't come back according to the way they think, they're going to be upset. I'll tell you something. He can, he'll, whatever he does, I'm going to be good with it. And I think there are certain things he's going to do. I've made that clear and things I don't think is going to happen. I've made that clear. But at the end of the day, I'm good with what Jesus does. He's going to make everything work out. So he is the blessed and only sovereign. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in approachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. That is a great praise in, in doxology. It looks like the book will end there, but Paul's got a couple extra things to say. He's talked about rich, so he says, hey, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited uh, or to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches but God. In other words, he's saying, listen, earlier I said the love of money is a root of all types of evil. He said, but some of the believers are wealthy. By the way, it's okay. I don't know how to tell you this, but... All of us, by the standard they lived in back then, would be considered wealthy. We would. 
in our nice, comfortable chairs with proper lighting, a heating, cooling system that fluctuates depending on my mood. <laughs> nice, of in, in, all this fancy stuff. Chimes. Well, you know, clothes, the Levi's, the Skechers, the shirt I got for 66% off at Dillard's. We're wealthy. This applies to us. Don't say, well, you know, I'm not Elon Musk. It doesn't apply to me. Oh, yeah, it does. Don't be conceited by what you have. Don't be hopeful on the certainty of riches, but on God, who supplies us with all things to enjoy. And it's okay to enjoy them. And it's okay to have stuff to enjoy. I have a really good, solid, dependable car <laughs> that can go really fast. And I enjoy that from time to time. I'm careful that there are not people around who might keep me from enjoying that, who work for the government. <laughs> but I enjoy that sometimes. I enjoy my TV. It's all right. Instruct them to be good, to be rich in good works, which is the most important. Get this, to be generous and ready to share. Well, yeah. To be generous and ready to share. I told you before, my, my wife, I find out, and, you know, she didn't have to work. We, I, I made plenty of money. You pay me well. And she worked, we had really good insurance, but she liked to work to enjoy certain things, and she gave a lot of money away. I didn't know that. I do now because they keep popping up on credit cards and Wells Fargo checking account. Like she gave to that and she gave to that and she gave to that. And she was willing to share and be generous. And I think one of the things I found out is after she just was diagnosed with cancer, she never told me this. She started giving money to a lot of uh, cancer places, St. Jude's Children's Research Center and some other places. Uh, now, I think I've said this before. I cut out the money she gave to like uh, the dog and, and rescue places. But I didn't have the heart to cut out the St. Jude's Children's Hospital, I guess that. And, uh, but I realized, I knew this about my wife, but then I realized just how generous she really was. And uh, I think we're not considered rich by our standards, but we are by God's. There's value to being generous and to share. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. And they can take hold of that which is truly life. And then he says this, Timothy, I love this part. Because this really speaks to me as a pastor, I think. Protect what has been entrusted to you. You know what's been entrusted to Timothy, that church? In his faith. I get, you know, to serve you. That's been entrusted to me. The gospel has entrusted to me, my family. All of you have things that have been entrusted to you. Protect that. Including the gospel. Because you're all as followers of Jesus. are responsible for the gospel. He says, avoid worldly empty chatter. <laughs> that would be a good idea for us Baptists especially. We don't repeat gossip. We just share it once. <laughs> but there are a lot of prayer requests I've heard that borderline on worldly chatter and gossip. That's why I just say, give me a name. I don't need to know the details. And arguments that are called knowledge 
And some of this is professed, they have gone astray from the faith. So there are people who have just left the faith. It could mean they have left the faith because they're doing this. But you know, sometimes people may leave because they're the subject of the gossip and the chatter. You don't ever want somebody to walk away from our church because of you. Someone who needs Jesus. Someone who needs Christ. Someone for whom Jesus died just because they're different. A lot of different people come to our church right now. I know that. And some of them may have lives that we wish they didn't have. I get that. I have friends like that. And I probably don't accept the way they do things. And so, you know, and we've had some tough conversations with people who have worked in places in our church. We've had to kind of say, we don't, can't let you work here. We love you. Some have stayed, some haven't. I don't want them to ever walk away. I want them to stay. I want them to know that we care about them. They need Jesus. But we care about them enough that we're not going to approve of their lifestyle. We care about them enough to say, it's not okay. You're at odds with God. But he loves you. And because he loves you, we're going to love you and share Christ with you. And that's what we have to say. And he ends by saying this, grace be with you. John MacArthur is a very well-known, he's in his 80s now, I think, pastor in Southern California. Um, you know, uh, Reformed Grace Church, I think, there in Southern Cal. And uh, he went through a lot of battles with COVID. It was crazy, just amazing stuff. But he, his phrase is grace to you. I see all the time, grace be with you. That's a pretty good thing, the way of looking at people. We want them to have grace. It's not earned, it's not deserved. We want them to have God's grace. And we want to share with them grace. So remember this, I was studying my sermon, talking about mercy, and I remember in this phrase. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And grace is getting what we don't deserve. And with Jesus, we get what we don't deserve. There was a battle for the church at Ephesus. Paul sent Timothy there to deal with false teachers. And he gave him a lot of instruction. And he said a lot of tough things. At the end of it all, he said, but Timothy, grace be with you. And when they read that letter, to the entire church, which is what they did. And a lot of hard, harsh things were said, and people were named in it, and groups were named in it, who probably weren't happy. It all ended with that which you don't deserve. May God give that to you. And that's a pretty good way to close out the book and grow for the year. And I'll see you later.